in a series called In My Feelings, and we're talking about just different feelings that we go through and things that we have. And today, honestly, to be straight up with you, uh, this one is a personal struggle for me. Uh, of all the feelings that there are, this one's difficult for myself, and I, and I blame it on the fact of, like, DNA a little bit, all right? I blame it on the fact that, like, my mom is 100% Korean, and sometimes you get that, like, maybe that just comes from, like, a nation that's, you know, continually at war, and I also grew up with a military father, so those two powers combined, um, that's a lot of things going on. We're talking about anger this morning, all right? And um, there's just something for me like when I send my boys to bed at night, every single night, my oldest is 13 and my, my second son is 10. And when, it's, when we send our boys to bed, every single night, I'm not exaggerating, it is like World War III. They just can't go to bed quietly. And there is something about it. When they make noise, it just causes me to be angry and just go like next level trying to make sure they stay quiet. Maybe you can relate with me. I don't know about you. Maybe you get angry because of the lack of money, you know, not having enough or wanting to be able to do stuff. Uh, maybe you get angry from the cost of food. You know, we had some friends over the other night and uh, uh, they asked my wife to make deviled eggs and my wife made a whole dozen. And I was like, are you kidding? That's like $50 worth of deviled eggs. Like, what do you do? I don't even know if I like them that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if we just did like three and we did small portions of each piece of deviled egg, right? Like stretch it out a little bit, right? Maybe that makes you upset. Maybe society just causes you to just be angry, like everything that's going on in society. Uh, maybe you're here and you feel like uh, anger is something that God feels towards you. Maybe you feel like God is angry with you. And the reason why you avoid church, the reason why you're not a part of church is just because you feel like God is mad at you for something you've done or something that happened and, and you're just trying to earn right favor with him. Um, <laughs> I want you to understand that anger in and of itself is, is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with being angry, having the feeling of anger, uh, but anger can lead us to sin. It can lead us to mess up. And I love how uh, a guy named Paul wrote this in the New Testament to a church in Ephesus. He says it like this. He says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. And I think that's an important word there, the word control, right? That we're gonna have feelings, but we can't allow our feelings to control our actions. It can't control what we do. And then he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And that's another message for another time. And, but I really think what Paul is talking about is dealing with our anger in a timely manner. He says, because anger gives a foothold to the devil. In other words, uh, anger, if we leave it undealt with, is like leaving the door cracked open to our house. It gives them an opportunity to come in and to wreck havoc. Anger ruins relationships, period. Anger ruins relationships. And the devil's gonna use anger in your life to ruin the relationships that you have with people around you. I have never met a married couple who was angry with each other that brought them closer together. You know, like, what was that thing that saved your marriage? You know what it was? We just get so mad and we yell at each other and we just say what we want. We get, then we're like, then we go on a date. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen, right? Anger typically drifts 
people apart. I've never seen anger bring parents closer to their children. Anger typically puts barriers in front of our kids. I've never seen anger bring neighbors together or bring coworkers together or bring family together. Anger always ruins relationships. And what we have to do is deal with anger in a way that like God can actually be honored by it all. Because if people were to take a glimpse of us when we're angry, they'll see a side of us that maybe we don't want people to see. You ever experienced like, and if people saw this moment of you angry at whatever it is, hey, maybe people would think a little bit differently about you. In Matthew's gospel, he writes about this time of Jesus coming in uh, to the Passover, and we're calling this Palm Sunday. And in case you have no idea what that is, Jesus actually came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. People were calling him Hosanna, Hosanna, and they were laying down palm trees and they were laying down their clothes for Jesus to ride on in this moment. And the city of Jerusalem had about 40,000 people in it. But during the time of the Passover, and in case you don't know what the Passover is, the Passover was a Jewish celebration, a festival, when the Jews remembered when God rescued their people from Egypt. So this Passover celebration was a big deal, and around 250,000 Jews would show up to Jerusalem for the Passover to be there at the time, and people would come from all over the Roman Empire to be there. That'd be like Gadsden. The Gadsden's about 35,000. And imagine some event that would just bring in that many people. I don't know, Riverfest is like the closest thing that we used to have, right? I don't know. But you just, a lot of people, imagine overnight Gadsden having 250,000 people here. Uh, that'd be a great business opportunity for people to start like Airbnb their houses. You know what I'm saying? Like I live on nine acres. I'd be setting up tent plots. I'm like, all right, you got this, 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 this. Like I'd be making that money. Are you here? Come here. Like, I'd, be, I'd be doing it. Nail salon, all of that. I'd be making some money during that time. So just imagine there is a lot of people showing up for this moment and Jesus knew something that no one else did. So you can see Jesus might be a little bit on edge. What Jesus knew is that five days from this moment, he would be giving his life on the cross. No one else knew that that was happening. So as Jesus goes to the temple, he straight up goes full on hoke mode. And, and I love this as you read this in Matthew 21. We're gonna see a side of Jesus that we typically don't see. Listen to what it says in verse 12. It'll be on screens for you. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, here we have this moment where Jesus comes in and he just straight up starts flipping tables like he's picking up chairs and he's throwing them. And this is completely abnormal for Jesus. Like no one had ever experienced this before with Jesus. Like he just got so angry because we know Jesus isn't known for his anger. Jesus is known for his love, right? Jesus isn't known for his anger. Like when you think of Jesus, I don't think of angry God. 
But maybe, like, like I said, some of you might think like, hey, Jesus, God, angry. No, he's not angry. We think of Jesus and we think of his love. We think about the way that he loved people. And so what we need to do is learn to be angry without losing our cool. Learn to be angry without destroying relationships around us. Learn to be angry and honor God. So we'll look at three just short things this morning that I think will help us as we look at how Jesus was angry and how that can apply to us. First one is this. When Jesus got angry, he got angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. See, um, Jesus never got mad at the Pharisees when they questioned him. The Pharisees, they were Jesus, kind of like his enemy. They were literally the ones plotting to kill Jesus. And the Pharisees would always question Jesus publicly. They were trying to trap him in words, and they were talking about him. Jesus never once, like when a Pharisee, like made a post about him online, Jesus never got angry at the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, his heart would break when people were being mistreated. So the question for you is this, what makes you angry this morning? Like what is that thing that just makes like your blood boil? Like maybe someone talks about you online. You ever had that happen to you before where like someone, they shoot you a, a screenshot of a message and someone's talking about you. They didn't use your name, but you know they're talking about you. You ever have like that first moment where you're like, oh, that person just said this thing about me and they're talking, but they're just bashing you? You ever have that moment where you're in work and you go into the lunchroom and everyone stops talking because you know they were just talking about you? What is that thing? Maybe you have a grudge against someone and maybe you've said this before. I will never forgive this person for what they did. What is that thing that agitates you? You know what agitates me? Now, I live on nine acres, so we're, we're like, we don't have like super close neighbors, no one around. And um, this is what agitates me. When I go to my car in a carport, and it's kind of like a nastyish day like this, it's kind of wet and stuff. We have two outside cats uh, that we use for mice and stuff. And when they stop doing it, we're getting rid of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those deals. They understand the deal. When I go to my car, and it's my car and my wife's vehicle right next to each other, the cats take their muddy paws and they walk all over my car. They don't touch my wife's car at all. It tells you the cats know what they're doing, right? And so I like, it's like my boys are always wanting to like shoot guns and stuff. Like, hey, you guys want to shoot some 22s today? Got a little target practice for it? No, I'm kidding. I would never do that without you guys knowing about it, all right? <laughs> but my cats put their paw prints all over my car, that agitates me. I'm like, why can't, why, why, why just my car? You know what I mean? Why not my wife's vehicle? They just, they just do that to my car. What is that thing that agitates you, right? What is that thing that just gets under your skin? Maybe it's like a group of people or maybe it's like a people group or, or, or people like lifestyle, something. What is that thing that like those people, they just bother you? You just got to eat, like it's easy to criticize like certain people or whatever. Like what is it for you? And when we get angry, sometimes we feel justified, especially if we've been wrong before, right? Like, like it's easy to get angry if someone does something to us. And so we feel justified in our anger just to be angry. But how do you handle our anger like that? 
as a follower of Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, hate those who hate you and curse those who curse you, right? But we in the South, we're giving them those holy cursings, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want, no, Jesus said, no, we bless those who hate us, right? We love those who curse us. So we actually do the opposite. And then Jesus says stuff like, we hold no record of wrongs. We forgive people when it's difficult to forgive. And, and that's the hardest thing to do. It's easy to justify our actions. It's so much harder to actually forgive someone. And like, can you imagine with me for a moment that Jesus tells us to do things knowing that it would be difficult, but he's the one that actually does it as well. Jesus was mad because people were being mistreated in the temple. You ever go to like, a, like an airport or a, an amusement park, Disney World, or they go to a sporting event, and you know they don't allow what? Outside food or drink because when you show up, they know they got you, right? And when you walk in there, you know you're about to pay $15 for a hot dog, and that's not even including your drink yet, Right? And you know you're going to overpay for stuff because they have you locked in. They're taking advantage of the fact that, hey, you need to eat and you will buy the food that we have. That was the same thing with the money changers and the dove sellers. So let me kind of explain it like this. <clears throat> when people would come to the temple, they came to worship God. But again, in the Passover, there would always be some sort of sacrifice you would give. And so they would sell these doves. But when you came from different parts of the Roman Empire, you had different types of currency. So when you showed up and you had a different type of currency, you had to exchange the currency for the proper currency, right? There's a reason why we don't take euros in America, right? You gotta exchange that for dollars. And I understand if there's a fee, right? We all pay fees. It's like, all right, I go somewhere. I'm gonna use my credit card, which is ridiculous, by the way. Like, you gotta pay 3% to use this credit card. So like, no one carries cash, but whatever, right? 3%. And you just pay the fee. I get it. You pay the fee. But in their culture and in this day, what Jesus was so upset is that they weren't just charging them a fee, they were marking up the amount. So like what would be a normal exchange rate, they were doing 10 times the amount. And then they would move over and they would buy a pair of doves. And now in their culture, a pair of doves should only cost about four cents, but they would charge 75 cents for the doves. You're thinking, big deal, that's less than a Coke, right? But in their culture, most people earned one penny a day. So to buy a pair of doves just to make a sacrifice to God would take more than three months of your income. Imagine three months of your salary just to make a sacrifice with God. What do you think that would do for you if you weren't able to do that? You might feel like God was upset at you. You might feel a disconnect from God. And Jesus comes in and he got pretty mad that people were being mistreated. So we see the second idea here that when Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He didn't flip people. Like when we read the Bible, we don't see, it says right there, he knocked over the tables of the money changers, hit a dude in the face, DDT'd another, right? Like he, he just flipped tables over and threw chairs. He's like, and he was like, Peter, do you smell? Like, like he, he didn't do that. Peter was the rock. All right, come on, somebody was there with me on that online. You know that was 
That was pretty good right there. All right. It says, Jesus flipped tables over. Why? He was making a point. This is really important. Because at the table, people were being mistreated. At the table, injustice was happening. And Jesus, when he flipped the tables over and when he threw the chairs off to the side, what he was showing the people was this system of injustice ends today and I'm starting something brand new. This system of injustice is no longer allowed. We're going to change the system that allows all people to be able to worship God. But you and I need to be careful with this idea of using righteous anger for the injustices that we have in the world. Just because we think something is wrong doesn't mean we can justify our actions to do whatever we want. Jesus didn't do that. Our goal as a Christian isn't to be right, it's to be loving. Our goal as a Christian isn't to be right, it's to be loving. And we have to be careful not to justify our behavior, especially when something gets personal. Let me share this with you. I think this is important to know. There's, um, at our church, we have a lot of people that are just coming back to church. We have a lot of people who like trying, like giving God another opportunity or whatever. I think Christians do a disservice by the way that we act towards other people. Here's what I mean. As a follower of Jesus, my life means something completely different. I've experienced the love and grace of Jesus. I now have eternal life with Jesus. My life is completely different. I have different standards. I have a different system. I've built my life on Jesus. My life is completely different. But I can't take what God has done in my life and now hold these same standards to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I think the church has done a really, and I'm not talking about our church, just the church as a whole has done a really bad job of making people who don't belong to God hate God even more. You don't think like me and because you made this choice, because your life looks this way, you are going to hell and God can't love you. Blah, blah, blah. And people go, well, if God hates me anyways, why would I want to go to church? We're holding standards to people who've never even experienced Jesus yet. We can't say my standards need to be your standards and you haven't had a relationship with Christ yet, you gotta experience Jesus first. And I think when we talk about this idea of flipping tables is so often we get angry at like the things that people do that they never even experience the love of God. Let me share it like this. Just because you love someone doesn't mean you say that what they do or their life is okay. You can love someone's soul, you can love the person as they are and not mean, and your lifestyle is okay with me. But what it does mean is I accept you and you can come here and we can have a relationship and I care about you, the person, because you, the person, has a soul and that soul's gonna go somewhere and you know what? God just might use you to help reach that person where they meet Jesus. But you know what he's not gonna use? someone who judges someone else based off of decision or a life or whatever and says, you can never have this. We would call that Pharisee, right? 
when we think we're better than people just because we've experienced something, they haven't. And I think so many churches say, we love you, we accept you, but you can't come to our church until this. Oh, you're messed up? You can't come here because we all see it. We as Christians prefer private sins, right? As long as I don't know what you're dealing with, you're okay. As long as I don't know you're cheating on your spouse, it's fine. But if I know that you have a problem, that's the problem. You can't be here. And too often, Christians are pushing people away from God. That's not gonna be the case here. We wanna be a place that people can show up and we accept them and love them. Why? Because they're a human being. We love all people no matter what. I don't care your lifestyle. I don't care your preference. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you did last night. I want you to know that you have a place here in this church where you can show up every single week messed up and all. And at some point, I believe, God is gonna begin working in your heart and he'll deal with you the way that he needs to deal with you and he'll change you the way he needs to change you because it's not my job to change you. It's God's job. So as a church, you're gonna experience a place where you can just be, where it's okay to not be okay, where it's okay to be messed up. And I think where the church as a whole has got it wrong is when we acted like everyone had to have their junk together and we know nobody does. We all need hope. And that's what Jesus was doing. He got angry that people were being mistreated. And so he said, this system of injustice will stop and it stops here. And I want everybody to know that what's been experienced will not be what's happening going forward. But he never, ever did anything towards people. As a matter of fact, the third point is this. Jesus, when he got angry, he then turned and he loved and he healed the hurting. I think this is really crazy. He just literally got done going on this whole tirade of like flipping tables over, money's thrown around. Like, I, I, like this is how my brain works, all right? So just gotta let you into my brain a little bit, um, which that's kind of weird, but you know what I'm saying. Like just this is how I think. When all the money's flying around, that's like a pinata, you know what I mean? Like where people are like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't know, I'm just thinking that's how I think. Can I think like that? Is it okay for me? Then? All right, so. In verse 14, it says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, when you read that, you're like, that's not a big deal. Jesus healed people all the time. But you have to understand that this was during Passover when literally people had to give money to buy things to make a sacrifice to God. If you were poor or if you had some sort of infirmity, you weren't allowed in the temple. So in their culture, they believed that if you were poor, it's because God was punishing you. If you were born and you were blind or you were paralyzed or you couldn't hear, you had some sort of infirmity, it was either because you sinned or your parents sinned. And so can you imagine your whole life knowing God must hate me? Like here I am, I'm homeless, God must hate me. Here I am, I'm paralyzed. What did my parents do that caused God to take out his punishment on me? And what Jesus did is he made it possible for people who were poor and sick to actually worship God in the temple. And when he got angry, he was frustrated at the system and you don't see him yelling and taking it out on people. He says, no, this system is over. And then he turns around 
and he begins to heal people, the very people who would never be allowed in the temple were the very first people Jesus brought in to the temple. Can you imagine? Let's just imagine for a moment, like Christianity isn't what it is. Jesus was like alive right now. We wouldn't be in church right now because Jesus wouldn't have died, right? But we would hear about this on the news, this Passover happening and the money changers and all the injustices. You know what we do in our society? Oh, we'd try to cancel those money changers. I'd be like, hashtag free the doves. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be some things where like, we're like, those people are just causing, this is an injustice. We need to cancel that person. We need to cancel this person. I can't believe that blah, blah, blah. We need to cancel this thing. But here's what's crazy. Jesus doesn't cancel people. Jesus cancels sin. He doesn't cancel people. Jesus cancels sin. You see, like, the thing I don't get about Jesus and the thing that, like, changes everything for me is that when Jesus died on the cross, he knew everything I would ever do. And he knows me. And you know what? Like, Jesus would see my life and go, you know what? There's Daniel. Oh, and guess what? He becomes a pastor and he still messes up. He still does things he's not supposed to do. He's not going to get his junk together canceled. There's no way he deserves my love. And Jesus would do the same thing for you. He would go, oh, look at this person. They're, here they are again. They showed back up to church because their life's falling apart. They just need Jesus again. Oh, Jesus, help me, help me. Call out, Jesus. Oh, help me. My finances are bad, Jesus. And I show up and I supply and I give their needs and they go on and they mess up again. Oh, Jesus, help my marriage. It's falling apart. And I show up and I rescue their marriage and they turn around and they do the same thing. Oh, Jesus, my life, my life, my life, help me me, help me, and I show up every single time, and they still mess up. Cancel them. You deserve to be canceled. I deserve to be canceled. I don't deserve life. But yet, you and I, for those who have a relationship with Jesus, are so quick to cancel people. Huh. Oh, that person is like that? Done. Oh, that person said that? Done. Oh, that person wants to do this thing. They want to say, oh, they want to, blah, blah. oh, they're going to go cheat. Done. And we cancel people all the time, whether you say it or not, in your heart, you know. You and I have a canceling problem. We cancel people that don't think like us. We cancel people who don't believe like us. We cancel people who say things that we don't say and live. We need to say, like, what we need to figure out is like John Mayer. We need to figure out what, say what we need to say, but in a way we need to say it. We cancel people all the time instead of recognizing, like Jesus said it like this. He said, as he told a parable, said, this person over here owed a guy $50 and this other guy over here owed the master $50,000. And here's a guy that owed $50,000, Jesus says, that the master forgives him. Hey, you're done. I forgive you. You don't owe it anymore. And that very person who had just been forgiven of a $50,000 debt goes out and finds the guy that owes him $50 and says, oh, you can't pay me? And throws him in jail. And Jesus shares the parable and says, you must forgive as your heavenly father has forgiven you. And here's what I want you to understand. No matter what any person has ever done to you, no matter how big you begin to stack that mountain, 
it pales into comparison to what you've done to God. And if God can forgive you of everything you've ever done, everything you're currently doing, and everything you ever will do, then our job is to forgive. This verse that I'm about to read to you, Paul wrote it to the, to the church in Colossae, it wrecks me because it changes everything. And it should change our perspective. Listen to what he writes. He says, you were dead because of your sins. In other words, all of us are born with sin. We've messed up. We make mistakes. We all have tripped up in life. And that dead means eternal separation from God. We deserve eternal death. We don't deserve to be in the presence of God. He says, you were dead. Why? Because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ since he forgave all our sins. And that word all is an all-inclusive word to mean past, present, and future. All of our sins. It says in verse 14 that he canceled the record of charges against us. In other words, here we were standing before God. We're on trial and they got the rap sheet here. And it's obvious we deserve the death penalty. We're done. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, actually, God, we're canceling the record of charges. What part? All of it. How did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. You see, five days later, Jesus would be on a cross and it would be in that moment that everything that I've ever done wrong, every sin, every curse word, everything I ever looked at, everything I ever said, every action I ever did, every place I ever gone, every thought I ever had, anything I ever said, any dream, whatever, everything that I've ever done wrong was balled up and it was put on Jesus. And everything you've ever done wrong Anything you've ever said, anything you've ever thought, any, any decision you've ever made, all those things were put on Jesus. The sins of the entire world, past, present, and future was put on Jesus. In that moment, the spotless Son of God became the literal definition of sin. He became sin. And God, who is holy, his own dad, literally turned his back on his son because he can't be in the presence of sin. Jesus took that all on himself so that he could cancel the charges held against us. And in verse 15, it says, in this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He came to rescue people when we needed rescuing. When there was no hope, he became hope. And he did what no one else would and he paid the penalty for our sin. And Jesus got angry when things separate people from God. You know what I think? I think Jesus gets angry when we do things that separate people from God. When we act towards certain people, when we make decisions towards people, when we do things in such a way that keep people from God, I think Jesus gets frustrated with us. When we become a barrier to someone experiencing Jesus, I think Jesus gets frustrated with churches. And I think, honestly, as you read in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, why a lot of churches sometimes have to die out is because they lost sight 
of the vision and mission of Jesus. That he chose individuals like you and me to tell other people about Jesus. And when we get so caught up in what people wear and what they look like and what they do and how they sound and how they talk and how they smell and we lose sight of the fact that they have a soul, I think Jesus gets frustrated with that. When we keep people from Jesus. We live in a divided world and sometimes as Christians we add to the division instead of bringing people in. I always have said that I wanna be someone who helps add to the population of heaven by decreasing the population of hell. And sometimes that just means loving people who look nothing like me, sound nothing like me, make choices nothing like me, just for the sheer fact that maybe God might use me to reach that person so that they can put their faith and trust in Jesus. So we choose to heal the relationship, not hurt it. And when you get angry, it's an opportunity for you to not fall in the same trap, but to show love to someone who doesn't deserve it. Because at the end of the day, God chose to show that same grace and mercy to you when you didn't deserve it either. And you might just find that in your anger, God can use that for good when we choose to heal relationships and not hurt them. And let's pray together.